Now, after the Easter long weekend and then Anzac Day, you might be forgiven for not having paid full attention to all the news of the week. But we've got you covered with updates on everything from the federal election to news affecting domestic abuse survivors. First up, we have Katie Atchison from the Australian Youth Coalition here to talk to us about a surprising rise in youth voter enrolment in the lead up to the election. And after that, we have Lula Dembele, co-founder of Childhood DV Australia, to discuss the desperate need for funding experienced by the large majority of domestic violence health centres across Australia. Just a heads up, we are going to be discussing domestic and sexual abuse in this episode. But before that, we want to hear from you. What made you enrol to vote? Was it because you had to? Or was it a reaction against a politician that you just couldn't stand? Let us know on 0409 945 945. That's 0409 945 945. Or tweet us in on Backchat FBI. Stay tuned. It is absolutely laughable. The woman's off her tree. Back chat, your alternative to talk back. Okay, so Shami, if I hear one more person blame the lazy, entitled younger generations for all the political uproar that we've been seeing across the globe, I know that I now have cold, hard proof that the youth of today are not only politically engaged, but they're insisting on being heard and making a change. That is right, Eden, because according to recent figures... The, 2000, the 2019 federal election will boast the highest enrolment rates in Australian history at 96.8% and a record enrolment rate for young people aged 18 to 24 at 88.8%. We have Katie Atchison, the CEO of Australian Youth Coalition, here to chat to us all about this. Hello, Katie. Hi, thanks for having me. How exciting is this? So Very exciting. exciting. <laughs> Very exciting. So can you tell us what what has young people enrolling to vote in such high numbers? Like, I feel like we've been kind of blamed a lot for not enrolling to vote and now we're like doing it. What's, what's happening? I know. I think it's so interesting, right? Because I think for so long, older people were saying that it's just young people are lazy. They don't care. They're not involved in politics. They don't um, engage with political sort of things and we knew that that wasn't true like every young person can tell you how pissed off they are about the lack of climate action that, that what they feel about mental health and the the ideas that they have people have been getting out and striking I think what has happened in past years is that young people haven't really been engaging with traditional politics but marriage equality or the non-compulsory postal vote as it shall be known not a plebiscite um really infuriated young people because they're like hey wait a second i thought you were like doing your job i thought you're politicians and you're representing my issues and here it is an opportunity for you just to do your job and put this through and rather than that they went to uh a survey through the post which most young people were like what the heck is this this is ridiculous so i think young people are now going hey wait a second the way to change things is to actually vote people in or out and that's what's going to be really awesome this election is that the amount of young people has never been seen in our history before and young people are the swing vote so they will decide this 
this election. So young people, whatever you do, donkey vote, it's not this time, no penises on election <laughs> papers this time, because this time what we need to do is you guys are going to decide what it is. We don't want to lose our vote, we want to make our vote heard, and so we want young people to be very clearly saying, this is what we want. If the candidate is not talking about the things you want them to talk about, get somebody else. Absolutely, yeah. Well, you hear, heard it first here on Backchat, no penises on ballot papers. Um, <laughs> so speaking of the same-sex marriage postal survey, do you think that the higher voter enrolment among youth has been due to that, people signing up to vote there and then it's carried on to this election? I mean, it would be really interesting to hear from callers what they what the reasons were that they enrolled. I think what we're hearing from young people is that was a catalyst for many things, but I think also the climate strikes, I think world politics and seeing what happens when you don't engage with, with traditional politics is that uh, essentially a lot of older white males um, will determine your future and they're saying actually wait a second if you're not talking to me and you're not hearing from me then how you're actually not acting on the issues that I care about and we can't forget that we don't have a minister for youth we haven't had one for five years um, we don't have funding for the national peak for young people and there is no national plan for addressing youth issues so there hasn't been a real direction on issues that young people care about for for almost five years and ten years for the the national policy so young people are like hey wait a second you've had too long to get this this right and you haven't got it right, we're going to change, we're going to flip the script. So should we be expecting more progressive policies to be supported? Um, like you mentioned climate change and like the treatment of refugees. Is that something we should be kind of seeing? Well, I think everybody says young people are progressive. They think that they vote for Greens and Labor. That's simply not true. Um, there, In the past, there has been young people tended to vote left. But actually what we see in Australian with Australian young people is they tend to vote on issues. So if, say, for example, the coalition government came out and said, we're going to be the government who acts on climate change, we're going to do these things and put these things into place, young people would vote because they care about climate change and it depends on who's saying what. So it actually isn't left and right with young people, it's issues-based. So it's really fascinating because any of the parties could come out and say, hey, we heard from young people, this is important to them, it's important to their current and their future, we should do it now. So Liberals could win with the youth vote if they only would talk to young people. And at the moment, we just don't have much of that happening. That is fascinating. Mm -hmm. You're listening to Backchat on FBI Radio 94.5 FM with Eden and Shami. We're talking to Katie Atchison, CEO of the Australian Youth Coalition, about the higher voter enrolment rates among Australia's young people. We're asking you the question, what made you enrol to vote? Was it because you had to? Was it a reaction against a politician that you just couldn't stand? Let us know on 0409 945 945. That number again, 0409 945 945. We've actually already had some texts in. Uh, so the first one is Joe from Mascot. And uh, he said, I only enrolled last year because I couldn't ignore how we treat refugees and asylum seekers anymore. I was so angry and I knew I just couldn't justify that anger without doing my bit to make a change. Awesome, Joe. Do you think that represents a lot of what young people are feeling? Absolutely. I mean, this is generation compassion. They are totally... Um, this generation is the ones who care about social justice issues. They care about 
refugee and asylum seekers. They care about marriage equality. They care about a lot of different things that um, are not just affecting young people, but are affecting the whole community. And so Joe, like many young people, is saying, like, actually, what about the future that I want? And they want an equal Australia. And so it's really, um, it's because of people like Joe and the hundreds of thousands who enrolled this last time, is that this election should be being played out on big issues that are affecting all of Australians and particularly inequality. Young people really want to see the inequality that's growing in Australia um, be diminished or for the government to be saying, hey, actually, we're seeing too many people below the poverty line and people who are way wealthy and are not sharing that wealth. Young people want to see Australia that is good for everybody, not just for themselves, which I think is fantastic. So, Katie, this isn't the first time young people have heard that this election is in their hands. I know with the state election that just happened, we were constantly told uh, young people are the ones with the power. We get to decide. Um, what would you say to the despondent youngsters out there who who might not feel that they actually do have the power that you say they wield? Oh, look, it it might not feel like you do, but you actually do. And every single vote counts in Australia. It's it's. If you've been looking at uh, global politics and you're frustrated by things like Trump or Brexit and things like that that have been happening the past few years, Australia has a different system. Um, and what used to be safe seats like Rohingya with Tony Abbott, um, there's a number of different places around Australia that used to be safe seats where you'd have either Labor or Liberal really owning it for years and years. This election, a whole bunch of those seats are now unsafe. So your one vote could make a difference. Take Parramatta, for example. Last year, Parramatta was won by just 915 votes. I think I saw last night that Gilmore or one of the um, New South Wales one, it's 60 votes. So literally you and 60 of your friends could mean the difference between a a person being elected. So that's why it's so important this election to rather than using your anarchist donkey vote or, or standing out is like this is our chance to actually change to say to the government in mass, we want you to do your job. We want you to make Australia better for young people and for all people in Australia. And you cannot ignore us anymore. So if you don't vote and if don't, you don't use your vote, um, then they can ignore you even more. And we'll have another four years of politics where they don't talk about young people or their issues. And we just can't, we can't do it, particularly in climate change. We cannot have another four years when nothing happens. And young people are going to be the ones who say, you cannot do this, you have to do your job properly now. Yeah, absolutely. I, speaking of kind of how the youth involve in the, the election, do you think that uh, young people are more susceptible to fake news on social media and things like that? And, and how do you think we can avoid that? No. I think the answer, the easy answer is no. Young people are, uh, this generation's digital natives. They've grown up with um, a device in their hands. They're pretty aware of what their world looks like. I think older people trust um, that sort of stuff a little bit more. Young people uh, generally do a lot of research. If, they, if they're if they really interested in something, they'll get really into it and they'll start looking around. Whereas um, some people hear one thing and then they're like sharing it with their friends. Look, this thing happened and actually it comes out as fake news. So I think, um, I think young people are a lot smarter than people give them credit for. And actually it's probably generations who haven't had as much digital awareness who are more susceptible to fake news because young people do research. They do check it out and they are the most educated generation we've ever had. So yeah, I, I trust them fully with being able to understand the news. I think it's weird that um, adults always put it on them because it's not true. Well, that was very encouraging. I feel very vindicated. <laughs> Thank you, Katie. Um, so Katie, you're the CEO of Australian Youth Coalition. Can you tell me a bit about what you do in your group and um, 
what you're doing around this election? Sure. I'm the chairperson of the Australian Youth Affairs Coalition. Apologies. I should probably get my name right. Apologies. Um, it's my fault. Um, so we are the peak body for young people and the services that support them in Australia. Um, it's been around since 2002. And... Our job is basically to keep uh, the decision makers responsible for what they're doing um, and making sure that they're putting young people first. They, under Tony Abbott's rule, I should say, um, it, there was a whole bunch of programs with the word youth in it that got scrapped and the funding for the National Voice for Young People got scrapped. So um, as a chairperson, my job is basically to say to the government, hey, you need to consider what young people are telling you. You need to have conversations with young people and actually be more in touch with what's happening. So at the moment, we don't have funding, but we're hoping in the next election that the government prioritises our young people and their voices because it's so important. We can see so many policies coming out of government in the last five years where they haven't been having conversations with young people because they just don't know how to. And so... Our job is to help connect young people to um, politicians. So, yeah, we're hoping to see that there'll be funding for the National Peak, but also that there'll be a Minister for Youth and that the government will have a clear plan for how they're going to address some really pretty significant issues that young people want to see addressed. Absolutely. So what should first-time voters know when they walk into the booth? We have this huge influx of them. So uh, what's your advice to them? Uh, so before you get into the booth is to do a bit of research, is to, I mean, even if it, if you don't have the chance and you all of a sudden find yourself on the 18th going for your, getting excited for your sausage and or your vegan patty, whichever it is, and you're, you get there, you need to just even ask the people as you go in, the thing that you care about the most. So it's climate change, it's mental health, refugee, asylum seeker. Ask the people who are standing outside handing you the thing, how are you going to vote on this? How is this person going to vote? If they don't answer the way you want to, vote for somebody else. So essentially it is whatever you do, make sure that you use your vote. So put a number in the box and vote for a person that you want. So do the research before or at the very least as you're going in, say to somebody, hey, what are you going to do for mental health? And if they have nothing, then don't vote for them. Well, that's wonderful advice. Thank you very much, Katie. That was Katie Atchison, the chairperson. Chairwoman? Chair, how do I say your title? Yeah, just call me chair, like I'm a, like a table. Like You're a chair. A chair. I'm the chair <laughs> of the Australian Youth Coalition. She's the chair of the Australian Youth Coalition. She was just talking to us about the higher voter enrollment rates in Australia's youth. So thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me. We're going to be going to a song now, but stay tuned because up next we're going to be talking to Lula Bembele about federal funding for domestic violence resources. It is absolutely laughable. The woman's off her tree. Back chat, your alternative to talk back. Before we start, just a warning, this next segment will discuss domestic violence. The coalition is recently committed to funding two additional caseworkers and cybersecurity measures at the Penrith Women's Health Centre. This comes under its total domestic violence spending, which adds up to $328 million. The pledge demonstrates just how desperate Australian domestic violence shelters are for additional funding and the disturbing ways in which technology is transforming how perpetrators continue to interact with the survivors of their abuse. We've got Lula Dembele, co-founder of Childhood DV Australia, to discuss the ways in which the government can move to a safer and more rigorously supportive society for survivors of domestic abuse. Hi there, Lula. Hi, how are you going? Very well, thanks so much. Um, so from look, your point of view, both as a survivor and as someone who works with survivors, what is the state of domestic violence support in this country right now? Well, I think as the recent announcements have kind of highlighted, there's a lot more that we could be doing as there's a massive demand for services supporting victims and survivors. Um, Natasha just 
Scott Despoyer, the chair of Our Watch, has labelled uh, domestic violence as an epidemic in this country, and the ABS statistics have one in six women experiencing physical and or sexual violence by a cohabiting partner in Australia. So while there are many amazing services out there, um, like the Domestic Violence Crisis Service that I'm an advocate for in Canberra, um, they are great in getting behind victims and giving them 24-hour access support via phone, safety planning, legal support, ongoing programs. But there's clearly not enough supply to meet the demand. And where I see the major gap uh, lying in our current approach is that while we are very much, as we rightly should be, focused on the impact that violence has on victims and giving them support, they're all responses after the fact once violence has occurred. And there's not enough focus on actually working with the people who use violence to reduce those behaviours and stop and prevent it now. So, um, Lula, you've spoken about how these users of violence, as you call them, and abusers um, are rarely baklava-wearing strangers. They're often the people that are close to us. So what does an abuser look like? Who are they? Look, this is the really hard part of this conversation. Um, the reality is, is that people who are using violence in their intimate um, domestic and family relationships are people that you already know. They're your friends, they're your family members, community members that you trust. And that is why it's really confronting. And that is what prevents a lot of victims from disclosing abuse. And it's also why a lot of victims aren't believed when they share their story, because it's so hard to think about someone that you have put your faith in, who you know as a good person, to understand that they're capable of doing quite serious and damaging harm to those people in their lives. Absolutely. And also the children of abusers are affected just as much as their partners. Isn't that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely. Right, yes. So um, are there any particular support services dedicating to helping children? There are. There's a number around Australia and um, the federated system that we have. Often there's uh, really good community-based organisations in each city and territory um, around Australia. But at the national level, there's things like Kids Helpline, um, which is a line that kids can access themselves. There's also, this is mostly New South Wales, but the Child Abuse Prevention Service who have programs helping families to work on behaviours and being supportive. And of course, there's the Alana and Madeline Foundation who do a lot of work in this space on helping kids specifically who have experienced or been exposed to abuse and domestic violence. So, Luna, what are some of the problems with the current support system for survivors? I know you've spoken about uh, the ones that are available, but um, what could be done further? There are a number of gaps um, to address, and I think a critical one is really, again, that focus on um, the perpetrator. So once a victim has left an abusive relationship, that's actually when they're most at risk of serious violence of attempted murder, um, particularly. So what we need to see is kind of a better connectivity uh, around keeping eyes on and keeping perpetrators in view and engaged to try and prevent that heightened situation and and potentially devastating harm being done to victims who have gotten out of the relationship. Mm. You're listening to Backchat on FBI Radio 94.5 FM with Eden and Shami. We're talking to Lula Dembele, co-founder of Childhood DV Australia, about how the Australian government can be better supportive of survivors of domestic abuse. 
So, Lula, what role does modern technology play in the way that survivors relate and communicate with their abusers? Well, we're seeing a fair amount of talk about this, and um, there's an excellent case that's uh, captured in a book by uh, journalist Ginger Gorman called Troll Hunting, but she specifically talks about the technological um, abuse of, of DV victims and survivors and how the ability that you can use in this technology to track and find out where people are to damage people's reputation and have these massive impacts on their lives through technology platforms is really serious and that's an emerging area. Um, and I have noticed that that's been something that I think both the major parties have committed to more funding for in looking at technology-based abuse. So speaking of funding, Labor recently announced doubling the funding the coalition has for domestic violence services. Uh, so what do you think about the pre-election promises that the major parties have committed to in the lead up to the election? Is it enough? I can hazard a guess as to what your answer might be. <laughs> Look, um, it's great to see them both making quite significant commitment uh, to doing more in this space. Um, However, my personal criticism um, would be that we need to put more new money into focusing on reducing violence now and working with people who are using violence now. We have to give that support to victims. That's critical. But while violence is a problem for victims, it's not a victim's problem. And when we only um, look at responses to victims after the violence has occurred, we're not actually focused on reducing and preventing violence. Mm -hmm. I have to say, organisations like Our Watch, who are out there doing the long-term behavioural and attitudinal change stuff that they do, which will bring about generational change, is great, but we're still missing that gap of working with people now to prevent violence now through working with perpetrators. It is interesting, uh, Lula, that both Labor and the Coalition brand their commitments as reducing domestic violence against women and children, but a lot of the measures that they're investing in are about providing support after the fact. So what do you think about this? What can we do to change that rhetoric? Part of that comes back to the fact that the National Action Plan is literally called reducing violence against women and their children. So I think when we're talking about it in that context at the federal level and with the state governments who are engaged, that's the framing of it. Um, and I think there's some issues also regarding how we capture data in this space. So most of the statistics that we refer to and look at are victim reporting or where there's been engagement with the justice system. And that very much... Um, focuses on the victim's experience, which is important, but it then also means that that's the lens that we look through of this issue. So when you're looking about how we quantify it, we're looking at how many victims there are. So we're looking at how do we help those victims, because that's the focus. And until we shift and start talking about, well, how many people are using violence and what types of violence they're using, that's where we can make the change and that's where we need to put in those interventions. Um, and it's just not currently how the entire structure is set up. So we do need to shift and reframe, I think, the discourse towards accountability. And I think from there, if we have more data about who's using violence, where they're using violence, how we can break down barriers for disclosures of, in, of violence for people who might find that their behaviour doesn't match their values, where they can go to get that support. Currently, we don't have those kind of programs. There's some great organisations like No to Violence 
to have the men's referral system, uh, referral service, so they're working with men specifically, but that's an underdone area. So is there anything you're working on specifically at the moment that you'd like our listeners to know about? I understand you have a podcast, is that correct? Yeah, so um, the A Man's Problem uh, social disruption campaign that I have founded is really focused on one the accountability narrative, including men's experiences of sexual, domestic and family violence and transforming our responses. And as part of that, as a satellite operation, um, I've joined up with journalist Mike Honan and we have a podcast which is decoding toxic masculinity or at least slowly navigating our way through some of the issues around toxic masculinity. And that's uh, called the Amp It Up podcast and it's out now on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Wooshka, wherever you get your podcast series. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you so much for chatting with us this morning, Lula. That was My Lula. Oh, thank you. That was Lula Dembele, co-founder of Childhood DV Australia. And that's all the time we've got today. A big, big thank you to our producers Natalie Sekolovska and Pip Leeson, and thanks again to our guests Katie Atchison and Lula Dembele. And if you or someone you know is experiencing domestic violence, please call one eight hundred RESPECT for help and information. We'll catch you next week. But before we do, here's Sands by Dawn Richard.